0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Songwriters on Process podcast. My name is Benno Papari, and since 2010, I've run the Songwriters on Process website, where you can find more than 200 conversations with songwriters about the creative process. I'm not here to talk about tour stories, band drama, how a band got its name, or favorite foods. My goal is to treat songwriters as writers, plain and simple. This is an intelligent conversation about the writing process between two writers. And today's interview is with Craig Finn of The Hold Steady. Uh, Finn has a new solo album out called A Legacy of Rentals, and this is the second time I've interviewed uh, him. The first time was, I believe, around around uh, 10 or 11 years ago. And uh, we touched upon a few topics today uh, that I found really interesting. And... Um, You know, I think this is the kind of interview that applies to all creatives, not just songwriters. There's so much in this conversation that's about creativity in general. Um, We talked this time and last time about the influence that exercise has on both of our writing processes. Uh, Finn, uh, both of us are big runners, and we talked about this last time. And uh, I wrote an article in The Washington Post about five or six years ago, I think, about the impact that uh, exercise has on creativity and uh, executive function. And I interviewed Finn for that story because he uh, uses exercise as a way, uh, as actually a part of his creative process. But he's also very ritualistic. I guess that's certainly a ritual, but he's also very ritualistic. And he certainly sees, uh, he tries to keep traditional hours. Uh, and he likes to see being an artist as a real job. <clears throat> and uh, he says that he likes to make appointments with himself to take things in. Taking things in is a big thing. Speaking of taking things in, this is one thing I've never heard before. He is reading Moby Dick. Now, I love talking about writing, uh, reading with songwriters, but no songwriter has ever told me they read, they've read, or are reading Moby Dick. And that got me thinking: how very few of them have told me about just. Plain old reading the classics. Yeah, a lot of them have read, you know, Vonnegut and Bukowski and uh, people like that, but the classics, you know, from old, uh, the Moby Dick. So he actually said to me if the next album is about wailing, you'll know where that came from. Uh, He writes quickly, he said he writes rapid fire four stanzas in about 90 minutes, then then plays it to see if he wants to change anything. Uh, And he starts by, uh, figuring out out what he likes the least in that song and then attacking it from there. And they'll set it aside for about a week and then come back to it. But a lot of it is about the ritual. But the part to me that I found most interesting in this interview was the, we talked a lot about memory, the idea of memory, memory retrieval, how we remember things, why we remember certain things. And, Uh, there's a story he tells in this interview about staring at a picture of, I think his high school or college buddies. And he said that when he first started looking at the picture, someone gave it to him. It was like 30 people in this, in this, uh, picture and, um, someone gave it to him and he said right off the bat, he remembered eight people immediately remember their names, but the more he stared at it, you know, for a long time minutes. And I forgot how long he said, the more the, the, uh, the names came to him as he just stared longer and longer, and reminded me of the interview I did with david Bazan and I mentioned this in the in the interview about David Bazan for one of his albums. He would drive around uh his old childhood neighborhood and as he drove around and he remembered things as he saw things and and that brought up more memories so the the very existential idea of memory was a big part of this, and like I said it wasn't a psychological treatment of retrieval or anything like that, but why we remember certain things and what we remember, how we remember, uh, ideas of loss. And I mentioned one author in this interview, uh, Anthony door and his book memory wall addresses the idea of memory. Uh, door wrote, uh, the book, uh, all the light we cannot see, which won the Pulitzer prize, but Anthony door, and that's D O E R R. Um, Writes a lot about memories, a fantastic novelist, and his book Memory Wall touches on that. So, again, I I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation, just talking to someone about creativity and memory and ritual in the process. And I'm, of course, a big Hold Steady fan, so this was a lot of fun. And, you know, come for the ideas about creativity and stay for the uh, thoughts on the running tips. And anyway, so with that, my interview with Craig Finn of the Hold Steady. I guess my first question is, since, you know, you you said you just told me you have spent some time up in upstate New York. Do you ever do any writing up there or is that just kind of the kind producing of like, end of I, it?
1: I guess I kind of write everywhere. You know, I kind of just uh, write wherever I am. So I'm sure I, I know I've written stuff up there, um, but more and more, especially as I get a little older, um, you know, so much of it happens it just in the nine to five, like the, the like sitting down at the desk and and working, you know, and uh, I'm sitting at my desk right now. And um, I get, you know, I, I keep pretty much like business hours, so to speak. You know, I, I think like, you know, one of the, one of the things that um, some years ago, like, like uh, reading or learning about, you know, Nick cave putting on a suit and going to his office every day, it it inspires me and, and really kind of something I relate to. I don't put on a suit, but, uh, um, I do think like it makes me, and I wonder like when I, when I, I don't really come from an artistic family and I wonder, um, I've kind of like self-analyzed myself recently, whether that is a way to, make it feel like you know i have a quote unquote real job to myself um because i do believe being an artist is a real job but you know like i wonder if there's some way of uh, making that feel a certain way to myself um by keeping very um traditional hours
0: yeah so before we get to that ritual i'm i'm curious if you ever noticed if the song Lyrics, the music themselves, if if it does ever change based on where you are, because some songwriters do tell me that when they are in a more natural or forested environment, the music or the lyrics change based on where they are versus where when you're surrounded by noise, you know, in Brooklyn.
1: Uh, you know, that's a good question. I don't know that I've ever felt that. I think I can get to a pretty peaceful place here in my office. Um, but, you know, there is stuff like when you're like, you know, like you you may see something on a sign, a street sign or a town name or whatever, or a certain chapel or, you know, that 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 no matter what kind of travel you're doing does make it into the songs. I think signs in particular are really interesting to me. I love being in like, you know, back when we tour more in a van, like being in the passenger side and seeing things fly by you, um, I think is like, was a heightening creative experience for me. I don't know if it ever made a song, uh, but, um, there was a, I remember being in Redding, California and I was actually on a run. We talked about running before, but I, I ran by this, uh, kind of decrepit looking motel and had a, uh, bar attached and in the bar window in a handwritten sign, it said where rumors become legends. <laughs> nice. <And> it <laughs> was like, wow. Um, I wanted to go in, but I didn't have any money on me. I was running. So uh, I just had to take a look at the sign and, 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 but uh, I, I think about that sign often.
0: Yeah. So do you still write it? I remember looking at our interview, we did 10 years ago, you said you were, in, you believed in writing in some form every day, even if it's not good. Do you still adhere to, sounds like you still adhere to that.
1: Yeah. Most days, most days, I'll just put something down, you know, um you know, so, well, like when, like right now I'm in a, like kind of a promo period, you know, as the record's coming out. So sometimes it's like, we need this, you know, we need you to write about this. And that might be the writing I do that day. But um, as long as I'm doing something each day. Yeah. Uh, And then reading every day too. Um, That's, that's something, you know, Jeff Tweedy wrote a book um, and he talks a lot about creativity in that and his views on it. I really understood, you know, like, and one of the things was taking things in. Yeah. So I kind of make appointments with myself to like, make sure I'm taking things in like uh, every year I am. uh, during Lent, which is right now, uh, I quit drinking because it's, yeah, I'm a lapsed Catholic, but that part is still pretty active. Like it's got enough levity that I actually follow through, and I've been doing it for years and years. This one I've uh, added, um, I'm reading Moby Dick, um, and wow. I read it before, so that's, um, that's amazing by the way. yeah. Have you read yeah. the movie? Dick? I yeah. did. I
0: had to read it for my PhD comprehensive exams. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: It's so it's amazing. And no one tells you how I mean no one told me how funny it is. Yeah. Um so I've really been enjoying that. But yeah, that's like taking things in. So maybe if you the next record's all about wailing, you'll know where it came. Well- Well, no. So we'll talk about
0: the reading later um, because I want to talk about that, of course. But the rituals, I mean, I'm a very ritualistic person when it comes to my writing as well. Like for me, I never write and revise in the same room. I'll Mm -hmm. always go to a different room because I just don't want to be I I, those things are so separate to me. Uh, And I want to make sure that they're separated because, you know, when you start looking at something too often, it just loses you your eyes start to glaze over. So that's, but I'm very much like you are. Um, I can only write in the morning. I'm not a late night person. um, And I do have that favorite chair. I like to write in, but songwriters are pretty divided about that. I mean, some of them tell me like, no, I can't have a ritual, but, but why is that? Is it a confidence thing? I mean, do you, what is, why does it make you so
1: productive? Again, as a cath raised Catholic, I think I have to have ritual has to, you know, anything important has to have a ritual, you know, Um, I I definitely do the like, like writing quick kind of, and then editing, you know, painstakingly editing. That's more, you know, like getting something down on the page and then shaping it into something I like is, is, is a big part of the process ritual, you know, um, I think as long as I do like, like the daily stuff uh it falls into line, you know, like I am like you. I, I need to it needs to happen in the morning. Um, you know, I usually like walk the dog and then just start crushing coffee and, and writing something, you know, and uh and then editing can happen just it just later. You know what I mean? Like it's it's not I don't need to do it in a different room like you do or anything. I do most I mean I we're a little space challenged because we live in Brooklyn, but everything kind of has to happen in this room. Um but you know i can i i come back to it um is is the point and and as i sort of you know cuz i still make albums um yeah. and I, as i sort of circle the songs so of this is the album i'll start going through them and i'll even start going through them kind of rapid fire like i'm going to like play through this one song once and see if i if I if I want to change anything, but then I'm going to move on to the next song. And as it, as, it, as the album the recording draws closer, I'll start doing that kind of rapid fire thing. And then that you know that process, you might end up changing one word, um, uh, but it but it's sort of just this last you know touching up uh, part of the process. So when you say you write quickly, is it almost like
0: a free write type where you're just not really thinking about what's on the page, or do you give yourself a certain amount of time? and write as much as you can.
1: Yeah. Like, um, I'll write a lot, like, you know, I mean, you know, I'll write, try to get, I mean, four stanzas would be like the, the, the minimum, right. You know, so that's like 16 lines. That would be the minimum, but mainly more like 24 or 30. Um, and then that would be in like 90 minutes. Right. And then, you know, just on average. And then, um, and then go back and start throwing stuff out, you know, and, and moving stuff around and changing it. And then, you know, I do this process where I kind of like, um, I say, what's the line I like the least and then make it better. And then I say, now, what's the line I like the least, you know, and you keep moving those, you know, you keep attacking the, the, um, the limping antelope of the herd, so to speak. And, uh, And you uh, make it, keep making it better. And I may have said this when we talked before, but I had like a real um, creative sort of breakthrough. A friend of mine had worked on the Letterman show and he talked about, um, he's like, you know, we have to write a show. The show's going on at 11 PM or whenever it comes on. We have to write a show. Then we work about work on making it good. And so, you know, I really think that's the truth. You got to write a song and then you got to work on it till it's a good song.
0: So do you, do you, is the distance intentional? Like for me, the worst time to revise is after I've written or revised. So do you intentionally say, okay, it's done. I'll set it aside and then come back to it.
1: Absolutely. And yeah. uh, you know, there's no real set period, but I would say at least a week. Oh, really? Um, yeah. Yeah. Cause I'm always writing. So like, you don't have to, like, you know, you don't have to worry about editing unless something's coming up. You know, if you need, if you want to, you have an opportunity to play a new song or you want to make a record, you know, then you have to start circling the wagons and editing, but um, uh, it can go, you know, I can leave it alone for, for quite a while. And, and I think that that helps that, that distance also helps me. Like if it's even something I want to pursue. Um, yeah. Cause if I'm writing a lot, you know, you choose like, well, this one's speaking to me today. So let's work on it. Um, and that was I, actually, you know, that, that was speaking of which that was the hardest thing about the pandemic is that I wrote a ton. Um, but somehow with the absence of the rest of my normal life, I had a harder time judging whether I liked what I'd written or not, hmm. um, you know, I, I, I was kind of like just making a pile and not, not when I went back to it, it was more difficult for me to be like, this, this is better than this, et cetera. Yeah. Uh,
0: I just read an article uh, in the wall street journal, literally this weekend about creativity and uh, kind of what they found. I guess there's some research coming out about how creatives create and I reviewed uh, Daniel Lanois, this is like a year ago, and he said yeah. he does, puts all of his songs on, I think he said, 11 by 22 art paper, and there's thought bubbles and arrows and lines everywhere, just stuff all over the place, like wow. completely nonlinear. And the article, the research I think that this article discusses is that idea, and they even referenced Hemingway in the article, it said, you know, there really is truth to the "right drunk, edit sober thing, is that the most creative people are those who don't think about it in a linear fashion at all. Yeah. Um, it's, it, and so I'm curious how that, you know, I guess what your thoughts are on that, about how linear the creative process should be.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you can get out of that, I think that's generally better. I mean, you know, um, in my own process, I might. there's a second part of it that when I bring songs, you know, for the, since 2014, I've been making music with Josh Kaufman um, producing and, you know, he'll pull out, I'll show him stuff where I don't have like a chorus yet, you know, and he'll be like, well, that line right there is, is, is strong, you know? So let's take that out of the verse and make a chorus around it, you know, and um, allowing yourself to go there um, you know, I think it's frustrating and, 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 um, there's just like, um, there's a sense of, I don't know, in, with musicians demo-itis, right? Like you, you, you know, you, once you demo it, you can't get away from that. And I think that learning to go on a journey with each song is rewarding. And I think important and a better way to do it, a better way to approach things, because, um, I think music a lot of musicians hear stuff in their head and to just march right at that um over a career that can get limiting because it's you're constantly bringing only one point of view to it yeah
0: yeah do you um the other the other well i I was gonna actually talk about deadlines because you mentioned this i create you mentioned with your friend who's a letterman writer and I create false deadlines for myself. So I do a lot of travel for work and I go to New York a lot. And um, what I'll do is is a false deadline to me isn't, oh, I'll write for an hour, how much can I write? A false deadline is I have a hard stop. And I found that I would get five times more done on that three hour train from DC to New York because I have to put my laptop away. But if you told me to write for three hours now and there's no reason to stop, I wouldn't get anything done. Yeah. Um, and is that, you know, and I find that to be a really effective tool if we're like, oh, my wife says, oh, we have to be somewhere in an hour. That's a great time for me to write. Yeah, yeah, I,
1: yeah. All that. That may yeah. Anything you can kind of enforce a rule on yourself. And uh, I might be like, I'm going to write 10 songs this week or I'm going to um I'm going to write a song every day I've done that many times like a 30 day just 30 day personal challenge you know or finish things uh or try try to get things more finished than normal any of that stuff is is good and i I am a like a calendar guy you know I put like things on the calendar which might be like write ten thousand words on this topic you know um whatever uh and just to keep yourself just to keep kind of keep um keep an eye on it, you know? And, uh, but I, I totally agree. I mean, I think when we're busy, um, we're at our best, but you can do that. You could
0: even say like, you could keep, see, I couldn't do that. I couldn't, if there's no reason to really finish something, cause I have to stop, but you had the discipline to say, Oh, I'll write a thousand words a day. Even if, if you didn't write a thousand words a day, nothing's really going to happen. Right. But you sounds like you can actually do that. That's impressive.
1: Yeah, I can do that, but, um, you know, uh, that's, that's, uh, yeah, yeah. I I can definitely do that. There's like, um, I can make myself do that, but again, that's sort of part of the punch in the clock and, um, and, and yeah. And, and, treating it like, you know, like having a to-do list that you, religiously cross things off on and you feel a little bit of dopamine when you do, you know, yeah. Like, you say like, I did it, you know, and I'm going to do the next thing. And, and there is this sense, at least especially now that I'm older, that these things, like, they turn into things, you know, you're yeah. like, I'm going to sit down and write a bunch of songs. And then here you are two years later and you have this album coming out and you're like, that only is happening. Cause I like sat down at the desk and did it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Depending on days I didn't want to. Yeah. So um, one more thing I read about recently, uh, and this
0: was a study about the moments right before you fall asleep. Uh, it's not when you're sleeping. There's this moment right between like full on slumber, like this hate. There's a term for it. I, I always forget to 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 look up what the term is. But the study referenced Salvador Dali and how he had this thing where he would sit in a very uncomfortable chair with a skeleton key in his hand and with a with a uh, like a saucer on the floor underneath the key, and so when he would fall asleep, he the key would fall out of his hand. It would make a noise. He'd wake up and then create. Um, and 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 oh. yeah. But there's actually they've they've actually done this. They've replicated this to some extent in the lab without the key and the saucer. Um, and what they found was that's a very fruitful time. So I'm curious. If that ever happens to you in those moments of maybe not just sleep, but in that period right before when you get these lyrics or musical ideas,
1: every once in a while, and I like will be in bed and like something will come up, um, and I'll immediately jot it down on my phone because I don't trust myself to remember. But more than anything, I'm uh, not a night person, and, and you know, uh, my my girlfriend, my partner, Angie, she. Uh, actually is like always a little bit shaking her fist at me at how easily I fall asleep. So I don't spend (laughs) a lot of time, like, you know, looking at the ceiling and thinking um, so that, you know, I think my version of that might be when I wake up and start writing and drinking coffee. Yeah. 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 Uh,
0: Okay. So the, you know, the new album, I read, I've listened to the new album. I love it. And I really like what you wrote about it kind of in the promo notes. And I'm curious, Mm -hmm. is it, is it harder to write with great emotional weight? I mean, some people just, you know, is there, is there, a, is it easy to write in a, in a, with heavy emotional weight? And I don't want to make this a pandemic question, mm-hmm. but in general, do you find that to be a productive time or when, or is it just at some point, does it become too difficult to write about things because it's just, it weighs on you too much? If that makes sense.
1: Yeah, I, that's a good question. I, I think what I would say is, I do need a little distance from things before they make sense to me. Um, a lot of the songs I wrote in this uh, for this record were written in the pandemic, yeah. but there were a lot of songs. And so like the ones I chose were the ones that kind of made sense of the experience or made sense to where I was at a year later, you know? Um, I think it's, I think it's good to write, I've, you know, I have another friend who's a writer and he, he says, right at it, you know, right at it. And, uh, I think that's probably a good way to go. I mean, I don't think I wanted, you know, you don't like, like to try to figure out how you're feeling, in in some way, maybe it's like, okay, I'm going to write a story. And then you realize you're writing about someone who's ill and it's not, even if it's fiction and it's happened in the 1800s, all of a sudden you're like, wow, the pandemic is creeping into my, my brain. And that's interesting. You know, that's, 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 um, an interesting when you start and then you write, you know, 20 more songs and they all feature someone who's ailing in some way. You're like, oh, I think I know what this is about. So, you know, it's that, um, Joan Didion will write to find out what we're thinking or whatever that is. I think that's very much true. And um, I don't think you want to, you know, I, I, I wouldn't want to write about uh, I wouldn't write a song about Donald Trump or the election or something like that. But the heaviness of those years may very much find themselves into the way people struggle, inequality, things like that, that, that you might be thinking of in a smaller scale. Yeah. Is it practically, though, I guess when when those feelings are overtaking
0: you, is it difficult to write in those times? I mean, I've had some songwriters tell me, yeah, I mean, it's hard to write when you're depressed, you know, when you when you're just I mean, you know, at some point it's just difficult to sit down. But um, because there are some pretty
1: heavy topics,
0: obviously, you wrote about this new album. So. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think in that you know, it, it, a lot of these songs were written during the pandemic, and I was actually my, like I said earlier, my partner's a nurse. I was displaced. Yeah, I had to move in with um her sister's family, and there was a little room there, and I would go in there and write a song every day. And I thought like, well, I'm here, you know, like a lot of things seem shut down. Like I've got the time, you know. Yeah, and um. So that's what came out, but I did not, I was terrible, you know, that was a very scary time. Obviously Angie was in a, uh, you know, going into, you know, something that was heavy each day and there were sirens all around. Um, but, but like there was also, that was maybe a time each day that I felt okay too. you know, I mean, yeah. that was sort of, again, hitting the ritual that I've done, that I've done in better times too. So there was like, well, I know what I'm going to do with this two hours. The rest of the day is kind of weird, but um, so in some ways it's, it's a break it's, it's if you're committed to it, but I, I get it. I mean, if you're depressed um, it's hard to do anything, you know, yeah. but uh, at the same time, I think that that mind state is um, like, I I, I've said for years, but I think like one of the greatest times to write is is unfortunately is being hungover.
0: Yeah, you said I read that you said that. And and why is that? Please, because you ever since you told me this, so many song artists have told me that. And I don't buy I, I don't see how that's possible because just the pain factor. But my God, I'd love to explore
1: what it is. Something about a hangover brings a dark comedy out. It's a a dark humor because you've done it to yourself. So there's a little bit like of a self-loathing, but everything's a little weirdly funnier. And there's a defeatist attitude that sort of comes through that like, you've defeated yourself, you know, I've done it to myself again. And, uh, but it usually comes, you know, you probably are that hopefully, it's because you went to a wedding and it was really fun and you had to, too many drinks, you know, you had one or one or two, too many. Um, and it's not because you just stayed up watching TV and drank right. a bottle of whiskey, <laughs> uh, you know? So I think it comes from a, after a period of elation. Um, yeah. So I, I think that's why for me, but I don't know. I think depression can be useful. I think, um, I think uh, figuring out what, uh, pushing through depression is really uh, in my, in my case, the only way I've found to fight it and, and you know, with exercise and et cetera. But um, uh, I think it's, it's probably easier or, I mean, I, and I think it's, it's probably good that whatever's in your mind um, to get it on the page. I think speaking of Joan, daddy, I think Joe Diddy, and I think her husband was John Gregory Dunn, Right. Yeah. Name, right. Yeah. So I he think so. said, he said the first character in every novel is the writer. Um, is the author. And I think that's, that's very good. I mean, like you, you can sit down to again, to write a story about, you know, an astronaut going on to the moon and it's going to be something about you, (laughs) you know, like, like your own depression, your own anxiety might very well find itself into that person.
0: Um, When you write about, you know, I I know this album is also you talk writing about memory Mm -hmm. and uh, it reminds me of when I think I interviewed David Bazan. This was five, six, seven years ago, I think. And he wrote an album, I think, about his someplace he grew up in where he grew up as a child. And I think he actually drove those streets. Mm -hmm. And when he drove those streets, they got him thinking about things to write about. So when you're writing about memories are there things that you draw on tricks that you use to kind of put yourself back in that space?
1: Yeah. I mean, a lot of the songs in this were, you know, about memory and how we remember people and how, um, how we kind of pay tribute to people and places that are gone. And so I think like it was um, important to me to think about like, you know, how, how we really do tell these stories, you know, how, like, cause the stories by telling the stories they kind of replace the memory, right? You know, like, like the legend becomes the thing and, and what we put in and what we leave out often can be like a very cleaned up version, you know? Um, so trying to, trying to do that. I think um you know, I, a lot because of we're kind of homebound during this record, I don't know that I, that I walked, that I've driven the streets, but I do that, especially when I get back to Minneapolis, I'll drive around and see what's yeah. there and see what's changed. And, um, just thinking about, you know, like, like, like even sketching out like what, you know, certain things, um, how, how they were important, you know, but I think, you know, putting details into things really help. Um, really help like details uh um kind of can spur those memories right like it's it's not it's like you know what 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 um where you went to get coffee with that person rather yeah you know that that can be like um that can be that can tell the story in itself
0: We so we live in the same neighborhood I grew up in, Mm -hmm. and you know, I'm a big runner. And there are times now we'll run by a house that I've run by 5,000 times, and somehow after 5,000 times, I run by the house and I remember, oh my gosh, that's the bush I fell in during a party in 12th grade. I don't know and it's fascinating to me that it never has occurred to me in the other 4999 times i've run by that bush um and that to me you know i find that interesting that that is a big memory you know you drive by those places and somehow that memory comes up that you never had before
1: yeah yeah i mean i i, I had this recent um a friend of mine forwarded a, a picture of um people we went to school with. I went to Boston college and there was a picture of like 30 guys, classic college shot, you know, guys drinking beer out and there's a porch and everyone's out there. I wasn't in the photo, but I knew all these guys at one point. And at my first view, I think I could name eight of them out of 30. And I just kept staring at it and over 30 minutes names started just popping back up. And like, it was a physical relationship between how long I looked at it yeah, and what came back. And I think that that was like kind of moving to me and made me realize like, that's an exercise I should be able to repeat somehow. Like I, I should remember that because there are things that, you know, if you just stare at a photo of a house in your neighborhood, maybe things like that, like you said, will come back. And, um, I do that, you know, there's also this thing about getting older. That's really, I mean, everyone experiences, but like I've lived in New York for 21 years now, and it, I'm old enough in New York now, to, which is crazy. Cause I still don't feel like a New Yorker, but to, but to experience everything is what it used to be. Yeah. That used to be a dry cleaner. That used to be a cool bar that used to be, you know, and, 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 and there's, so there's this constant ghosts, like, you know, behind every storefront and, and, oh, so-and-so used to live in that building, you know? So once you're in one place, there's always those things kind of coming back at you into your everyday.
0: My, that's interesting to say that because there is a, there's a place where my friends used to hang out and I knew that they were tearing it down. And at some point I would drive by or walk by to run by it every day to make sure the memory stays in my mind. And I always wondered at some point, you know, I'm not going to remember what, how many times am I going to go by that place after it's gone and say, yeah, I just, I don't remember, you know, I don't, I don't remember what what." it's, I don't know. I find that fascinating that I, but I was doing this conscious, like, let me soak it in as much as I can, because at some point I'm going to walk by there. I'm going to say. God, what was there? You know.
1: One one of the weird the one of the things I I connect that like really like on Third Avenue and me I think it's 16th Street. Um, there used to be this pizza place, Mary Ellis. And when I first moved to New York, I had this job, it was over there. And me and my two friends from that job would go there at lunch and and the pizza was great. It was my favorite pizza in New York. And uh it it had um, late, I'd say mid, uh, must have been uh, maybe eight years ago. I might be getting this wrong again. Time collapses. They had a fire, and it was suddenly just gone, and they didn't reopen. And it was like a mom and pop place, so it wasn't like you could go to the other location. It was just like that. That you know, and that's a very taste and memory art. so yeah. Connected. So like you're like, I wish I could have that again, but it's not like we knew the owner, even though we were yeah. in there all the time. Like it, it's just gone, right? Yeah, it, it's just that's just like, no, you can say like, I could bring you to the best pizza, but I can't now. So, um, it, there's this thing that suddenly is ripped from your thing. And, and then you wonder, is it, was it great? Was it really that great? Or was right. I, was I just in an exciting time in my life and I made these new friends and, um, I think it was really that great. I, I, have, I have my, I, I turned my girlfriend on to it before four clubs, but, but all the same. Um, you have those things in your life that, that are just suddenly gone and people are like that too. You know? Yeah. Um, my, my friend, Brian Dilworth um, died. I was, we played in London, um, uh, March 8th, um, uh, it's like six, seven, eight, the year the pandemic started. So we were really right up against it And on the plane ride home. I learned that Brian had passed away He's a year older than me and pulmonary embolism, you know, just died, uh, quickly. And it was, you know, that it's the same feeling. It's like, I'm not going to be able to talk about baseball with him. Like, I'm and then, you know, that, that, I think that event more than anything, um, started me thinking about how we remember people and how we, how we best remember people and how we, uh, what, you know, what's what, how we carry on those things and legends and stories and all that. There's a great book uh, by Anthony door.
0: Anthony door wrote the novel, all the light we cannot see. That won mm-hmm. the Pulitzer Prize like six or seven years ago. But his book before that is called Memory Wall. And it talks about a lot of the things that worked. I said, great. It's a novel. It's fantastic. Uh, um, yeah. Uh, Memory Wall. D- uh, Anthony Doerr, D O E R R. But he talks a lot about that. So, um, all right. A couple more questions. One, I found that in the pandemic, people are have gotten a little, because, well, practically they're homebound. I'm always fascinated by the number of. People have told me they have gotten uh, song ideas during doing song ideas doing mundane activities, cleaning, vacuuming, washing dishes. Um, fold, Kebmo told me uh, ironing was a great source ah. of interest. I'd never heard ironing before. Folding clothes, he said. Um, but it's something about the mundane activities that ins- that that get you you know inspired. So I'm curious how often that happens to you.
1: Well, walking, I mean, that may be a little less mundane than ironing, but just literally going on a walk, like running, I I don't, I running opens up my mind and I -hmm. I still am a runner. Although somehow during the pandemic, I lost like some speed. Um, (laughs) like, I, I I'm, I'm a little slower than I thought anyways, but, but running like opens up my mind. It gets my mind to a place where I think I can, and it staves off depression so it gets me you know it helps me live my life but walking you know with no headphones just i think something about the pace of of the rhythm Hmm. um allows me and again you're walking by things you're walking by that bush you're talking about you're seeing the sign i'm talking about you're like you know seeing taking in all this stuff and i think to me walking is the greatest way to get song ideas and um for years i've been a walker um on tour You know, I'm like, I'm like the guy who just walks off and no one knows where he is. Uh, Cause that's what I just, that, that helps me get, that helps me sort of interact with the world, like uh, emotionally, spiritually, intellectually, whatever. Do you, do you use that deliberately
0: for song ideas? Like for me, when I run, there's a certain comfort. uh, If I'm in a rut when I'm writing, I will go for a run
1: and, So I use that deliberately. So do you use it ever deliberately? Yeah. Walk to two two things I use deliberately. Well, walking would be one. And then again, taking things in, like just sitting down and saying like, I'm not writing that well. I'm going to read. I'm going to read um, a lot this week, you know, or I'm going to watch a film, watch a movie, watch a movie. You know, I have a list of movies that I've should have seen, but it haven't seen. Like, I'm just going to check one of those off and see how it inspires me, you know? Yeah. Do you. um So you might be walking and all of a sudden a line might come to you. Oh yeah. 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 All the time. And, um, you know, sometimes there's also like that, that thing where it's like a crossword puzzle. I like doing crossword puzzles. Sometimes like you walk away from it or you're, you know, you can't get it. And then later that day you're like, Oh, you know, and like you get that long one at the bottom and it just fills in the rest of the puzzle. Um, Yeah. So so that can happen from walking. That can also just happen from revisiting things later. Uh, but th- those those are very real for me.
0: See, that's why you said when you said looking at that picture, that's what I thought you were going to say, because the picture, I feel like if you look at the picture an hour later, something's going to come to you that wouldn't come to you if
1: you were just staring at it. Um, yeah, and- that would be my normal. But staring at it in this case was weirdly like. Oh, really? Things were like literally popping up. Yeah. There was an, a great article in the New Yorker, It must have been
0: 10 years ago. I think it was Louis Menand. I think he's the one that writes about the writing process for the New Yorker. Mm-hmm. And he has this thing where he, when he's ever struggling with something he's writing, he puts ideas on, I, I'm going to get the story. I think this is correct, on a bunch of note cards on a table in the entryway. And what he does, it's a table he walks by 50 times a day at least. Every time he walks by, he'll look at it most of the time nothing will come but sometimes he'll walk by it might be the 38th time and that something will come to him that he wouldn't have come to if he just stared at it but that that i thought that was so interesting that's how he writes that kind of like returning to things is a way to
1: again you know the other thing is is that more and more like like uh collaboration not so much in the early part but like i said like bringing it to josh you know bring it to producer you trust and him being like that part's great you know and yeah. that part excites me less and being like you know you might fight him on it you might say no the first part's the genius part but you might just say like i appreciate that insight let's go there yeah and then it goes to a third place by the two of you putting your heads together and um that is, you know, if you're with the right people, that's a journey worth going on. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So you mentioned Moby
0: Dick. So I feel like we should close with. Yeah. So, really <laughs> uh, well, but still no one. This is the first songwriters ever told me, you know, that they that they are have read Moby Dick or reading Moby Dick. Um, I know you're a big reader. So. First of all,
1: why, what made you pick up Moby Dick? That's my first question. Well, two things. One, it seems like something you should have read, right? You know, I mean, like that's (laughs) a lot of people have read it. But number two, well, three things. Number two, two is, uh, it feels like, I mean, because of the content of, you know, like we say that in almost our vernacular, like it's my white whale. It's my, you know, it's the, it's, it's, yeah. it's like an epic. It's an epic. It's, it's shorthand for an epic. Right. So it seems like something to tackle. Um, but a friend of mine was just saying, like, it's so fucking good and, and it's really funny. And I, that's something I'd never heard about Moby Dick that it was funny and i know like you know some things i like like Pynchon and uh like really you know like there's there's some like nods to moby dick and you know the sea shanties and things like that so um but but i what i found is exactly what joey said it it's funny um mm-hmm. uh there's a little bit of that like um Oh, Over dramatic, almost. There's some part of it that feels like a, a Morrissey lyric. You know, it's like, oh, bo- such as boyhood. You know, there's there's some of that that I I really get off on. I think that's hilarious. That's so interesting. I I, I can't say I'm going to go back and reread the book,
0: but it it reminds me of when I first read Vonnegut, and it was such. I read Slaughterhouse Five the first time, and I read it, and it was so dark, and there were times, and I thought. Am I supposed to be laughing at this? Like yeah. I, I almost had to look it. I think I may have looked it up on the internet and see if people called it a comedy. Because at some point I said, "Oh yes, this is dark, but it's also hilarious." Like he is writing these lines to be humorous.
1: Well, I think that I had that same thing, and you know, I, uh, I made a record, "Boys and Girls in America," that references on the road. But you know, I read like any good countercultural 16 year old I read on the road and I didn't really get it. And then I read it again in my thirties. And I was like, Oh, this is very funny. Yeah. You know, it's very, it's very, I didn't understand that. And I think, you know, you had to bring different perspectives to these things, but I think like, you know, different, different things are funny and dark comedy especially can kind of pass under the radar if you're not in the right place the first time. Definitely. So do you have a reading list or the things like what's next
0: after are you going through the classics or what are you doing exactly?
1: No, no, no. I mean, like I'm reading that. I'm reading that Moby Dick slowly. Like I I have like a it's sort of part of my morning ritual i read a chapter or two and you know it's gonna it's gonna be a slow burn i just read john darneal's book i don't know if he's been on your show i have not yeah yes i did interview a few years ago but and yeah the book is great uh really house and actually uh does actually spark some of my other things about memory the way and storytelling the way i'm um so i have to get what he's friend i'm friendly with him. i don't know this is um uh, uh someone gave me this and that's what i'm reading just started last night um uh, but i've always got something that i'm reading and you know it can be it's either novels or rock bios you know like um i i like when i'm touring it's hard to read something too uh weighty so like um a rock and roll bio is is just like perfect for when you're moving around quick because right you somehow relate you know um, i couldn't I was never a more than one book
0: at a time person, but then someone I interviewed said that they read like three books at a time, and that changed my reading habits entirely. So I will read a novel. I've got to I can't read two novels at the same time. That's too right. heavy. That but makes it's, sense. Yeah. Yeah. It's got to be a novel and maybe like a rock bio or some nonfiction piece. Cause I find that when I'm reading one, the other one's kind of stewing around in my
1: mind. Yes. And I think like I put like uh the the New York. Version of me. I put the rock bio on my phone. So like if I'm on the subway, that's like easy light reading that you don't mind if someone's like breathing on you while you're doing it. We're a novel, we're Moby right. we need a little alone time, you know?
0: Yeah. Uh the Modern Library Association put out the best, uh, it was the hundred best uh novels of the 20th century English language. So if you do need the list of the classics, um, okay. That's up there. Now they do have Ulysses at number one. I'm not sure I could recommend, you know, James Joyce is not exactly light reading, especially, you know, but there's, but all those books, I go through that list sometimes and it's like, oh, I've never read that book. That's what I'll read next.
1: Yeah, that's a good. I mean, it's good to have. I have, you know, those things. I have like a, I have like, I'm a big like notes guy in my phone. So I have like a running list of. Anytime someone says a movie that sounds interesting, I put it in their book. So I have this like huge list that I that I work my way through. Um, and uh, it's it's a pretty. The notes app has really replaced. Speaking of memory, has helped me a lot as I turn fifty. You know, uh, it's like like I, I try to get everything in there because. Um, you know, it's not what it used to be. And that's it
0: for the latest episode of songwriters on process. Don't forget. You can find all of my interviews with over 200 songwriters on my songwriters on process website at songwriters on going all the way back to 2010. You can read them, watch them, or listen to them. So until next time, thanks for listening.